It's good to see you here this morning. It's also good to uh, see my neighbor. I only have one neighbor. He came this morning, Oliver. He and I are always talking about pigs and goats, and so I'm glad he popped in this morning. Let me follow up on last week's message. Can we do that? I want to follow up on last week's message and add some urgency to it. Last week's message was the gospel comes with a house key. The idea is that the gospel compels us to go out and interact with those who are far from Christ and also interact with those in Christ who may be neglected. So I preached that sermon on Sunday, and then the next day, it was a Monday, I was riding home, and I was listening to a podcast that's like, kind of like the radio, if you're wondering what that is, and I was listening, and it said some type of stat that a significant portion of senior citizens in Great Britain uh, over this study over the last 30 days did not have one conversation with a friend or a relative. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but Great Britain has actually created a governmental position called the Minister of Loneliness. That doesn't mean minister like pastor, but like it's a government position to deal with isolation in that country. And I was thinking, I, I, I wonder if that's similar in the village at times, that there are people that live around you that maybe are isolated, and maybe they haven't had a conversation with anybody in the last 30 days. Maybe they live in a nursing home. Maybe they live right across the street. I just want to add some urgency to this call of the gospel to engage people with Jesus and love people with Jesus. And before we even get going where we're going today, I want to pray for us to, to get this urgency in us where we will reach out to others. So let's pray. Father, it's, it's hard for me to move on to the next text when the, the last one still lingers and still calls us to obey. And I just ask that you would give us wisdom to, to look around, to see who is in our lives who may be far from Christ, or who actually may even know Christ, but they're ignored, they're isolated, they're lonely. I just ask that, that we would get an urgency to care for people, to reach out, to share the gospel, to love people. Where your hands, where your feet, where your mouths, where that encouragement to others. And I just ask there would be an urgency within us this week. And Lord, as we continue on this morning in your word and we celebrate our salvation in Christ, may it impact us, not just intellectually, but move from our head to our hearts to our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the day, I heard a story. You know, sometimes you hear stories you're not quite sure if it's true or not. This is one of those stories. There was once a man who lived in Texas where I grew up. He lived in Texas his whole life, and he lived on top of this rich oil field, but he didn't know it. He worked so hard just to get by and make it in life. He worked tons of hours, ate beans for his only meal a day, his clothes were all worn out, and he was depressed most of the time, and then he eventually died. After his death, it was discovered that the man had his property 
on top of millions of dollars worth of oil. Was the man a millionaire or not? The oil was always his, but he didn't know about it. And the connection to you is that if you fail to see or to grasp what Christ has done for you, then you are missing out on all the riches you have in Christ now. <laughs> Can you imagine getting to heaven? It's going to be glorious to be with the Lord. And like, whoa, I had that also on earth. <laughs> we don't want to miss the riches we have now, so maybe you are scrounging around for meaning in life, striving to meet your emotional needs through sport or people or moping around, uh, discouraged and despondent. But when you know when Christ has done for you, you will see that you are rich in him. And I, I, we're going to talk about two things today that's going to seem so intellectual to you you're going to think that's that's intellectual concepts but these these ideas in the bible of what christ has done is really to to move from our head to our hearts to our hands the idea that it, it is not just something intellectually that we embrace but it impacts us on a personal level and an emotional level and a passion level and so when i introduce these two big concepts don't freak out and here they are we're going to talk today about justification and co-crucifixion. Justification and co-crucifixion. And if you want to create your own outline, the first point is justification, and the second is co-crucifixion. And you can take notes underneath there. But once again, these are just not theological, heady ideas that you talk about in seminary, but they are to impact your life now in Christ. As you can tell, we're back in Galatians. And the Galatians, for those of you who are just joining us, have been duped by another gospel. They are being duped by this gospel that says that you must believe in Jesus and basically become a Jew to be saved. Specifically, the false teachers were pushing hard for the Gentiles in Galatia to be circumcised to be made right with God. I read an Associated Press uh, released on Friday that a religious leader in Missouri leading a ministry called Restore Bible Culture was charged with illegally circumcising two teenagers. Somehow he's combining stuff to be made right with God, and most people do not advocate circumcision to be made right with God today, but there are plenty of people who still focus on human works to be made right with God. And that's what's going on in Galatia. And Paul pushes back and he says, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And those who preach this false gospel and believe it are eternally condemned. Because Paul is proclaiming a gospel of grace alone through faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the way that he is appealing to the Galatians is by telling this past story on how he has ran across this false teaching before. 
And last week we saw that even the great apostle Peter and Barnabas was deceived and refused to eat with Gentiles when certain Jews were around. Paul calls them out on his hypocrisy because we know that Jews and Gentiles are saved in the same way. Grace alone, faith alone, finished work of Christ alone. And this morning, we're kind of finishing up Paul's story as he continues to reflect on this discourse with Peter while bridging to the situation in Galatia and pointing to justification and co-crucifixion. That's the context. Let's go and start with justification. Look at chapter 2, start in verse 15. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. The Gentiles are classified as sinners because they neither have the Old Testament law nor do they try to keep it. But those who are Jews by nature have the law. But here's the deal. The Jews by nature cannot keep the law. So Jews and Gentiles both have fallen short of the glory of God and are only justified by faith alone in Christ. Now to Paul's main argument in verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. When you think about justification, which I doubt you do very often, but when you think about it, think about what is the basis by which God is going to accept a person into his presence. He is the judge. By what basis will the judge declare a person righteous and accept him into his holy presence forever? Now, in order for this legal declaration to be made by God, who is the judge, perfect righteousness is needed to be counted righteous by a perfect God. So if someone could keep the Old Testament perfectly, the Ten Commandments perfectly, then they would be justified. That is, they would be declared righteous or counted righteous by their own achievement. But what does Paul say in verse 16 again? He says, a man is not justified by the works of the law. That means that no man and no woman will be standing before God and declared righteous, counted righteous, because they have kept the law perfectly without sinning. Because we know that no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. I gave a little quiz to my kids on Friday night during family worship. And I'm going to give it to you right now. Okay? Just one question, multiple choice. On what basis will God welcome a person into his presence? On what basis? A. Good works. B, trust in Jesus, or C, good works plus trusting in Jesus. Now, for those of you who didn't answer and you're just cheating, off of those who said B, <laughs> it's okay. That's why we're here. It's why we're working through this. It's, it's B. But ask that question on the street. Ask it in churches. Ask it in our church. Let's think through this. We're standing before God based upon what? 
Why would God justify us and declare us righteous? Can we keep looking at verse 16 again? Again. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. One is justified or declared righteous by faith alone in Jesus. God will not declare a person righteous based upon human achievement, but through faith in the achievement of Christ. It really is not about your works. It's about Christ's works. You got that? It's not about your achievement, but it's about the achievement of Christ. And justification is a one-time act where a sinner is declared righteous through faith alone. There is no such thing as progressive justification where faith is combined with your good works and hopefully by the end of your life, something will work out to give you a right standing before God. No such thing as progressive justification. Those who teach that, that is a condemned doctrine in this book right here. You're declared righteous by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. Now, I'm not done with justification yet because I think it's such a significant doctrine that impacts us up here, but also in here, that I'm going to continue on just a little bit more. Many of you have heard it said, and I, I know you've heard it said in the Sunday schools you've grown up with, that justification means just as if I had never sinned. How many of you heard that? Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. That's good, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete. So if you want to write out the rest of it, here you go. Justification means this. Just as if I had never sinned and perfectly obeyed God. That's justification. That's what God declares and counts a person righteous. Just as if they had never sinned and perfectly obeyed God righteous in Christ. So here, here's the deal. I have, I have no props. I should have brought props, but this was too messy to do this, this, this thing I'm going to do for you. Pretend I have a glass of water here. Actually, it's a, it's a glass, and it's filled with yucky, gross water. It's got dirt, mud, oil, nasty stuff in this glass. This is your life before you came to Christ. You're born into sin. Now, imagine that you trust in Christ for your salvation and all of that dirt and gunk and junk and sin has been removed from this glass. You have been forgiven just as if you never sinned. But this empty glass with all the sin out of it is not enough to stand before a holy God. Now imagine pouring clean water, pure water, into this glass that represents the per perfect, perfect righteousness of Christ given to you. So that's where we have justification, just as if you had never sinned and perfectly obeyed God because God declares you forgiven and God also declares you perfect 
in the righteousness of Christ. When he sees you, he counts you forgiven and perfect in the righteousness of Christ. That is justification. That is, that is what we should rejoice in, right? Forgiven, declared righteous. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now where Paul goes, we're still on justification. This is some pretty complicated verses over these next three, but I think it's important for us to cover. Look at verse 17. We're not done with justification yet. Verse 17. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. (laughs) What's he talking about? Well, I still think he's talking to Jews here. So if a, if a Jew seeks to be declared righteous through faith in Christ, just like a Gentile, then does this way of salvation make Christ a facilitator of sin? And Paul says, may it never be. Christ does not make Jews sinners because the way of salvation is the same for Jews and Gentiles. Both Gentiles and Jews are equal sinners in their own and only can be justified through faith in Christ. In addition, if a Jew, like Paul, tried to be justified by the law, then it would be to his own doom, as he says in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. You see, those who seek to be justified by the law are living proof that they are sinners because no one can keep the law perfectly. And as someone tries to keep the law perfectly to be made righteous in God's eyes, it will reveal that they are a sinner. So Paul is not going to go back to the direction of the law. In fact, he says in verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. What you try to understand, Paul's not throwing out the law altogether. You think, well, is we getting rid of the Old Testament law? No, no, no. He's throwing out the law in the sense as a means or a basis of his justification. He's saying, I have died to living in such a way where I'm going to keep the law to be declared righteous in God's eyes. I have died to that way of living so that now I can live for God. There have been many books, thick ones, written about justification. There have been many, many many, uh, legal explanations of justification because it is a legal declaration. But I'm telling you, the idea of justification should impact you on a personal level and on an emotional level. And here's why. Some of you, you feel like God has abandoned you. And if you're honest, some of you feel that God is condemning you you have these emotions that God's condemning you and and I I go through bouts of that that oh is God against me does he not love me is he working against me and when you have these feelings and thoughts of condemnation you have to keep coming back to what is true what is true you are declared righteous completely forgiven, righteous in Christ, based upon His achievement, not yours. You are loved completely through faith in Christ, based upon His work and not yours. And as a believer, you will sin, and when you sin, you ask for forgiveness, but there's not this cutting off and removal 
of your life from Christ. You're still viewed as righteous in God's eyes. Now, when we have these thoughts and these feelings of, of, of feeling condemned and God is against us, we have to keep bringing ourselves back to the truth. And so here's what I'd like to just throw out to you. This verse that we kept talking about over and over again, in Galatians 2, verse 16, that would be a good verse this week to memorize. Now, if you're not into memory, memorizing Scripture, then let me just encourage you to keep that verse handy and read it to yourself over and over again this week. That is what we would call a fighter verse. You know what fighter verses are? When the enemy comes in to condemn you, you just want to stick it back in his face. That's a good fighter verse right there. The enemy says, you're not good enough. Here's a fighter verse that says, righteousness of Christ. Declared righteous in God's sight. Good fighter verse. Justification. Now we're moving on to something called co-crucifixion. Co-crucifixion. And this is in verses 20 through 21. And I'm going to go ahead and read both verses because it's one sentence in the Greek. Let me read it to you. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Now, before we get into co-crucifixion, let's keep the context here of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. Did you notice what it said there in verse 21, that if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If anybody who claims to be a Christian and you ask them, how are you going to go to heaven? And they say, be a good person. You need to really press them. Then what was the point of Jesus dying? Really, press them. I'm pressing you. If that's your, your, your thought, that you're going to be a good person and go to heaven, why did Jesus die then? And some may say, well, you know, Jesus kind of fills in the gaps. <laughs> I'm basically a good person, but I mess up sometimes, and so Jesus fills in the gaps. No. Grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone, and if not, then Christ died needlessly. Jesus, plus anything, equals nothing. And Jesus, plus nothing, equals everything. Now on to co-crucifixion. Co-crucifixion, we're going to talk about your death. You're still here, I know, I see you. <laughs> the co-crucifixion right here. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. Christ was killed in your place for your sins, and at the same time, if you're reading this right, you are to see yourself crucified as well. Your old life, you once lived apart from Christ, is dead. It is a real spiritual death in Christ where your old life is crucified. For Paul, that would be his old life of seeking to be justified by his works. For us, it would be our old life of sin, our old life of having our priorities rule the day, our sin rule the day. The old self is dead. John Stott is a great uh, theologian, put it like this. What was crucified with Christ 
was not part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. The way I view the old me when I think about myself, I know some of you do not know who this guy is, but there's this white rapper. His name is Eminem. If you don't know who that is, it's okay. But that would be me (laughs) if I wasn't saved. Angry, foul-mouthed womanizer. And if I'm reading the text right, it says that the old me, dominated by sin, was killed. The old you, dominated by sin, was killed. I read a story about two sisters who liked to party hard, and then both of the sisters got saved. Now, once you're saved, your old crowd doesn't know (laughs) necessarily that you're saved, and so they keep inviting you to the parties. Can you imagine they're, get, they're getting a text being invited to all these parties on their phone like, can you come to the party? And, and they, they text back, we regret to inform you that we cannot come to your party because we died. <laughs> That's the idea. We're dead. That, that old way of life is dead. But now you have a new life. Look at verse 20. But Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Oh, the one who loves us in the spiritual reality is he lives his life through you. He loved you. He gave himself up for you on the cross. And now he lives his life through you. That means that your life is not about your preferences or your priorities. Your life is now all based on Christ and his preferences and his priority. I was reading a book this past week by this author, Francis Chan. He wrote the book, Crazy Love, if you've ever read that. But his new book is called Letters to the Church. And he says that in a triathlon, participants swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, and run 26.2 miles. And I'm just wondering if I got on the phone or email and I invited my friends. I said, hey, would you like to come over and, and, and go with me and we're going to go watch a triathlon? Most of them would say, sure, it'd be good to hang out. We can go watch a triathlon. Sounds good. But what if I, I called or emailed or texted those same people and I said, hey, would you like to participate in a triathlon with me? That number would go way down, Right? What has happened is that many people, in fact, millions in our country, call themselves Christians because they believe that the Christian life is all about admiring Christ's example. Not realizing that true Christians have been crucified with Christ. And now we are to live this life one is called a crucifixion we have a new life that we live where we're dead to our own preferences and we live out new priorities in christ so the life ruled by sin and me is gone and it's all about my life in christ this past summer i passed a biography by george mueller on to my 19 year old son elijah and George Mueller, I don't know who that is, a very powerful man of prayer. He cared for orphans. He was a pastor and he was a missionary. 
And someone once asked him what was the success, the secret to his success in ministry, and this is what he said. There was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, taste, and will. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Your death with Christ means that you no longer have to rule your life. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's not about your priorities. It's about Jesus' preferences for you, His priorities for you. In fact, I would go go so far to say that your life is not even to be lived as a thank you note to Jesus as if he saved you. Now you're going to do your thing to thank him for what he's done. If I'm reading the word right, it says you are dead. And now Jesus Christ who declared, you know, you're justified. Now he is going to live his life through you. So it's not like, thank you, Jesus, now let me work hard on my own. The Word is saying you're dead, and now Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will live his life through you. Can you believe that? I have new life in Christ. I don't have to wake up the next day and think, okay, what's my priorities? What's my preferences? But I have a new life in Christ. During my 20s when I was saved, right after 19, I started grappling, grappling with the Scriptures, and I came across some teachings in Romans and Galatians and other portions of the Scriptures that, that come, kind of sum up what we're talking about this morning. And you can sum it, sum it up by saying it's the exchange life. The exchange life. Because in justification, who gets your sin? Jesus. And what does He give you in exchange? His perfect righteousness. And what about your daily living? Who, who, who died your old life? Who gets that? Jesus, it's dead. And now the exchange life is Christ living his life through you. That is powerful. That is powerful. And I know this sounds like big theological truths of justification and co-crucifixion, but we're talking about daily living. We're talking about riches we have in Christ now. We're not going to be like the guy who lived on top of the oil his whole life, didn't know it. He's a millionaire. He died with nothing. We are believers in Christ. We have riches in Christ now, right now. I was thinking about a way to really impress upon you these truths to know that the Father loves you. The Father loves those who are in Christ. Not because of your works, but because of works of Christ. He loves you. And you know what? I would take a big theological leap to say, you know what? He even likes you. Because the Bible tells us that He delights in us as His children. And I was trying to think about this relationship between the father and a son, and I thought of something that someone told me a while back that just really knocked me over. They said that kids who have a variety of struggles and and challenges, like, I don't know, ADHD and ADD, stuff like that, some of those kids found their issues relieved with just one hour a day walk with their father in the woods. 
And, and the idea is that the, the son or the daughter goes out with their dad, and they're free to run off and then come back. They go out and they come back. They explore and they come back. And the idea is that's healing to them. And I have seven children, as you know, and one of my kids has some special challenges. And when I thought about this image, I thought that would be great to do, but I live in the city. <laughs> but now we're here. I'm thinking, well, well, let's give this thing a shot. I live in the woods. So I take my, my son out, and we go out a few times. And what happens, I'm, no joke, we go out, he takes off, sprints as fast as he can one way, then sprints fast as he can back. And then he'll sprint again out there, and he'll sprint back. And through our long walk, he keeps going out, and he keeps coming back. He keeps going out. He keeps coming back. It's like he's tethered to me. And I believe, time will tell, that there's some healing happening in his life. And I think about you and your walk with your father who loves you. You wake up. You have errands and things you need to do. But wouldn't it be great to see your day kind of be like, all right, let's go, God. And you go out, do your thing, and you keep coming back to him throughout the day. It's like you're tethered to your father. You go out, you keep coming back. You go out, you keep coming back. Because he's the one that declared you righteous in Christ. You don't need to impress him. He loves you. He's accepted you in Christ. In fact, he has given you his son to live his life through you. And I know you have a lot of hurts, a lot of pains in your life from the past. And maybe if you see yourself as keep coming back to your Heavenly Father, maybe you will even experience some healing, some grace, some mercy, and some kindness because your Father loves you. And may you believe it this week. And may you take verses like you declared righteous and just eat that. Take verses like, I mean, crucified with Christ. Eat those verses and use them as fighter verses to push out the enemy. I really want these riches to be yours now, where they're not just theological truths, but something you embrace now. Let's pray. Father, we pray to you that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. We are here to declare righteous now. We don't have to do tricks for you. We don't have to try to impress you. But we can obey you out of a life that is already loved deep in Christ. And I know there are some people in here who have a hard time with you as Father because they have what we would call daddy issues as well but may they see you as a father who sent their only son to die for them and to live your life of Christ through them. And may some healing start to happen in our lives as we embrace the riches that we all have and not in our works, but the riches we have in the work of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.